0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Lord Jesus, I just pray now in this next uh, 45 minutes or so that you'd give me much grace and clarity. There's so much, Lord, of life, of you of um, all that we are doing, that I'd love to share you this morning. So please guide me, give me a very clear mind, Lord, and let it not be. Anything by the flesh, but by your Spirit. And I pray that we'd stir things in our hearts, Lord. You long to see your church mobilized. You long to see each and every one fully, fully, Lord, embraced and um, participating in your great story. So, Lord, bless us now and keep us, we pray. Amen. If you um, have already been listening to my accent, you'll know that we are from South Africa. Um, born in Cape Town, met Heather when I was 14 years old, that was a few years ago, Um, and we've uh, never been apart since then, um, which has been brilliant, although I suppose we were sometimes, eh? yeah, Um, let me correct that, Um, but um, we've had a wonderful journey, and and both got uh, saved on the same day, and baptized on the same day, and um, eventually married, which was wonderful, and... um, yeah, um, let me get that in there along the way. I'm going to get myself into trouble here, um, but it really has been a great journey, but it was only in our, our 30s that, that God really got hold of us, and we understood the the nature of the church, and so this morning, I want to speak to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read scripture. I'm not sure time's going to allow me to come back and go through it in any great detail, because... I want to really share life with you this morning. When I read the scriptures, and particularly apostolic ministry, that strange word that Paul uses um, to describe what God called him to do, I realized that in reading the passages of scripture uh, relating to it, that Paul shared his life with people as much as he did his teaching. And um, so, I really want to do that this morning, but it's in the context of God's purposes. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he's speaking to a church he personally planted in Corinth, and he says to them, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond the limit of the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may greatly enlarge so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you, without boasting of the work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Wonderful scripture, and I'll explain a bit more later. I've called this message, Small Keys Open Big Doors, because it is like that for us. So often the gospel starts with just a little seed in our heart, or God takes a little uh, community and he changes the world, or he grabs hold of someone who's quite insignificant and he does great things. And so I want to take you on a bit of a journey this morning and talk to you about a key that I felt God put in my hand, a person that unlocked the nations for us. Um, We were recently, or quite some time ago now actually, down on the south coast of England and I don't know if you've been to Arundel Castle, but it's one of the most well-preserved castles in England. I think it's owned by some Americans now and been fully restored and costs about £1,500 a night to stay there. Um, but when you go to the gates and you see them, you know it 's so impressive, but you realize the, the key to open them is just quite tiny, and often that 's what God does with us. He takes the simple things of this world to confound the wise as he says and um, as I stand you, stand before you this morning it 's some twenty one years ago that Heather and I gave up our business in Cape Town, South Africa. We had started the business with two things in mind. One, to make some money and to be able to bring up our three boys. And the second one was never to ever leave Cape Town. Um, If you read the newspapers, you'll see often it's the best city in the world to live in, or it comes out one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And so that's where we wanted to be. But God got hold of our lives and took us into the nations. And even now, 21 years later, not only have we left Cape Town, but we've left our nation for a season. We do hope to return there in the years to come. But we now represent a family of churches right around the world, on five different continents. And what started as a small little dream of saying, God, you've got purposes for the nations, for every people group. Seeing the great narrative, the great story of God, his purposes, and saying, God, that's what I want to give my life to. And now seeing what God has done. At one point, it was just a dream I can remember at a meeting similar to this one, there were a few more people. We were in a big marquee in the Drakensberg Mountains in South Africa um, at a leaders' conference. I was only there because I had a nice big people carrier. I was in my business, and the leader said, Would you get us there? So I said, Sure. So I drove and I sat right in the back, those sitting in the back row, be careful this morning. And I sat and I listened to this, and all the leaders, you know, all sitting around, and the drivers right at the back. And um, I listened to this message from Deuteronomy chapter 1, where God spoke to Moses and the people and said, break camp, it's time to advance into the nations. And that morning, listening to the story and the purpose of the church, that it wasn't only for the local community, but for the ends of the earth, that my heart was just arrested. And I thought, God, this is what I was born for. I just knew it in a moment. This is what I want to give my life to. And so when it came to the end of the meeting, the uh, whoops. Sorry. Thank you very much, Owen. That was jolly good timing. That's my birthday card from last week. Happy birthday, Steve. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Let me just pop this here, actually. Thank you. And um, as I listened to this message, and at the end, the, the leader of the meeting, a South African guy by the name of Dudley Daniels, um, said, I feel there are people here this morning who want to surrender their lives to breaking camp and advancing to the nations. And so I was the first one up. I walked past all my church leaders and I thought, I'm not going to even make eye contact. And I stood there, I thought, I don't know what they're thinking, but Lord, I know I'm meant to be here. And I remember going home to Heather and saying, Heth, we're going to the nation's. And she looked at me with these big eyes, and she had little Richard, and she said, Well, here's Richard. Go change his nappy. We can start there. (laughs) She says, I didn't say that, but it's a good story anyway. (laughs) Small keys. It was shortly thereafter that God took me to a place where we had had connections. I hope I get this right now. Yep. Um, up in the Maluti Mountains of Southern Africa, a very pretty place, to this little village that you can see before you. And in this village lived a very poor community, totally locked up by the whole apartheid system in South Africa, um, marginalized and oppressed poor, And that's what we would call them, oppressed poor. So the system worked in order to keep the people poor so that they could serve the farms and you could get away with cheap labor and all the other things. And we used to go to this place, escape Cape Town, take us many hours, 14, 15 hours to drive up into the mountains. And we would spend time there as a family. But it was over the years that we got to know a man by the name of Japila Samas, And uh, Japila was an elderly Basutu man. That's the African tribe. We have many, many tribes in southern Africa. He came from the Basutu um, under King Mushwashwe originally, but I haven't got time to go there. And Japila had grown up, obviously, in this village, and as we got to know him, and the reason we got to know him is that he used to take us walking in the mountains. He knew them backwards because as a little boy, they'd put all the fence lines in and just told these amazing stories of chasing down a buck. You know, they'd see a mountain buck, and they would chase it until they catch it because the mountain buck can't keep going all day. It's very fast for a while, but it just tires. So you tell her, And it was wonderful. And we got to know him. And it was in this time that Heather and I um, had a real encounter with God. We'd known him for many years. And one day, while Heather and I were out walking, God spoke to me very clearly and said, Take the gospel to Japila. Now, I was a businessman, I was frightened of my own shadow. And I'd never shared the gospel with anyone in my life. That was for the church leaders who sit up front. And, um, you know, I, this is, hey, I just go. I give my tithes. I serve the church. But no, the Lord, you know, surely not me. But praise God, Heather said, well, if God's spoken to you, you must go. And so I headed down to his little village, um, which you see on the, on the left-hand side there. And um, absolutely so... Bewildered, terrified, carrying my big NIV study Bible, and I'm heading down the thing, God, must be crazy. I can't speak his language. He can't speak my language. Um, What do I say? How do I do it? You know, all the fears that we go through as we share our lives in Christ. And as I got down in the village, um, his home is very similar to the one on the left, but that's not the original one because when tradition and uh, the belief in the community is when somebody dies in the village, their house is removed. Um, uh, it's all ancestral worship or was a lot of it, not so much anymore, because of the power of God. But I went down, and there Japila was sitting. On the little, um, if you look on the side, sometimes you can see it's around this end, a a little ledge outside which serves as the outside seating. And he's got his blanket around him, and he's sitting there with his stick, and he's gazing down the valley. And so I went to him, and I spoke to him in a common language. We could both partially speak. And I said to him, Daddy Japila, how are you? And he said to me, I am not well i feel i'm going to die and i don't know what's going to happen to me so i thought wow lord you're making it easy for me you know like this is like evangelism 101 you know give him the easy one first so i thought okay and i thought what do i say where do i go and because it's such a beautiful valley i started to describe the god who had made the mountains I said, once this wasn't here, and I talked about the Maluti Mountains and the beauty, and one thing about we African people is that we love the mountains and the beauty and the earth. And praise God, um, it was the most wonderful, wonderful um, afternoon. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, and it always, when I read it, reminded me of Japila. He said, I believe in the doctrine of election, Because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Isn't that incredible? God's love, and when I looked at that and read that, I thought of Shapila that day. Because as I started the God of the heavens, of the, of the earth, and the God of the heavens, I started explaining to him the gospel of salvation. There was a moment where I said to him, "Jesus died on the cross, as we've just celebrated," and his immediate response to me was, "Steve, isn't Jesus the God of the white man only?" I said, no. And suddenly the realization of the wrong doctrine of the church under apartheid that was being preached had really gotten through to the people. I said, no. I said, let me read you scripture. And then I had the privilege of watching him be transformed before my eyes as he received Jesus. It was the most wonderful afternoon. I walked back up to Heather, or in fact I think I just floated as I walked up, because this man had come to the most wonderful um, understanding of Jesus Christ. That's him sitting on top of uh, which mountain? Heather, that will be Lunkranz, I think, um, when we used to walk. It's a picture we took many, many years ago, sitting, gazing over, we sitting, eating our sandwiches on top of this high mountain and I uh, went to Heather, and I said, you won't believe what God's done. And she said, no, really? So I said, come and see. The next day we go down, not only is he there transformed, but his wife equally so, because he led her to Jesus that evening, his first convert. And so we're like, oh. and she was a beautiful. I'm sorry, I haven't got a picture on here of her. And so a journey began, and Heather and I returned to Cape Town, and we felt a call. We were carrying a word that God had given us, responded to it, sold up everything, laid down everything, and headed off up into the mountains to plant what was to become known as Dithlabeng Church. Long story, we landed up on a, on a farm. Um, it was post-apartheid by then. Nelson Mandela was president, and we planted a church. Um, and we landed up on this beautiful farm in the mountains, um, and planted our church of among the Basutu people. And God just blessed us. We had 550 come to our very first meeting. We saw 64 saved. My first baptism service, 92 in the Caledon River. And um, one after another, you know, right snaking down into the Caledon River, the very river that was the... the uh, uh, the, the heart of ancestral worship because the, 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 the God of the water lived in there. The, 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 uh, I forget the name now. And so nobody went in the water. That's why people drowned. It's because this, this ancestral spirit got hold of you and now suddenly just people snaking down the bank, being baptized in the river and into Christ. So it was a wonderful breakthrough. And God had opened a significant door for us. But even as we started with these people, our average, I worked it out this morning, just so that I would be accurate, our average income every month was just under 50 pounds. That shows you the poverty. Um, And the church grew to some 700 people gathering in this big barn, sitting on hay bales. No one ever fell asleep in our meetings, by the way. It was so uncomfortable. I was glad I was doing the preaching. Because we had nothing, so we sat on the hay bales, and everybody would stand up, and you could see them trying to get these little straw things out of their <laughs> blessed assurance. And um, uh, it was just wonderful days of just healing and and just breakthrough. But one of the things we felt straight away um, through through the prophetic is that God spoke to us about going to the ends of the earth. And you think, hang on a second, we are literally in the middle of nowhere. But now is this call to the ends of the earth. And we thought, well, this just doesn't tie up. And sometimes you could feel like that. Be a church here, a smallish community. And you think, how, how can we play our part? You know, what have we got? But God spoke. And he said, from here, I will take you to the ends of the earth. And you're thinking, you know, you look at the offering and you think, I can't even get to the next town. You know, and then suddenly you realize there's a packet in there and the whole packet starts moving in the offering basket. We used to bring everything up front and you realize somebody's given a chicken. You know, this head would pop out the packet and sort of look around. Very exciting days. Um, so we had, we had lots of fun. But God had opened this big door. And so we took a massive sheet of calico and we painted up a world map that went across The side of the building, Um, you can't see it here. No, it's just off to the side, um, the side here. And we put the nations before the people and said, the reason that God is doing this work among us is so that we can reach that. That's why we are here. And like you, there was no response. (laughs) The difference was, in our community, because of apartheid and what had happened, some 70% of our people were illiterate and had no geography at all. That was just a sheet of paper with a map on it. And so we had to fold it up. We painted another one of Africa and we said, let's start there. And people understood Africa. And Church in the Mountains was born. It was called Karake Yadihlabeng in Sissutu, which is the local language God says, or Paul wrote, I think that's me banging this thing. Sorry, I'll stop doing that. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing, things are. And so we started believing God. And God did an amazing thing. We overcame, uh, to a large degree, the division in our community. We became truly one new man. The church eventually grew and... We brought all the people groups together, no longer um, our black tribal people meeting here and white people separate, as we'd always known. But this church came together as one until we had seven elders of, of, of all the different people groups. Um, just the most wonderful work. God helped us to overcome poverty um, Psalm 113 is most probably one of my favorite psalms where it speaks about how God is not neglectful of the poor. But it says in Psalm 113, he stoops down. He goes to the very ash heap, which is the, the place that you would throw the dirt, something that's of no value. And he goes to the ash heap and he raises the poor from the ash heap. That's where he sees the poor. He raised them up. What does he do with them? He doesn't just raise them up. He seats them with princes. The word princes in the Bible speaks about initiators or leaders, those who have a voice and a say. And so God takes those who are on the ash heaps. so the world looks and says, oh, nothing good will come from that. But that's where God's at work. And he raises them up, and they become influencers. And so God really helped us. We um, started a work and we were battling with around about a 38% HIV um, infection rate in our community. So we had funerals every Saturday. It was very sad, but we started to work with the, the little we had. And very soon we were looking after some 350 sufferers at any one time. I heard recently, after 14 years or so, but they're only looking after 20 now. Isn't that incredible? The Church of Jesus Christ. We started a school. We um, started adult education, and we started to transform the area until a day came where they did away with all the apartheid names of our area, and they looked for new names for the districts, and they chose the name of the church for the whole region because of the influence of a church. A small key in God's hand, brothers and sisters. We went on to plant many churches all across the border into the nation of Lesitu. We gave away our best at times. We began foreseeing some of the promises fulfilled. And um, eventually, God began this journey of putting something in my heart Like I read from 2 Corinthians a moment ago where Paul said that God had given him a field of influence or an area of influence. And I felt, wow, God, you're doing something here. And suddenly there was this family, a group of churches just in that central part of Africa working together, helping one another, sharing resources, coming together for prayer, praying for the nations, giving away our resources. So we used to do an annual conference called Master Builders, we still do it, and we used to always take up a big offering there, and it's always exciting for us, except we always felt, give the offering away. So you can imagine, it's like, this shouldn't be happening, this should be at least helping to prop up our finances, but some 400 leaders would gather, and we would give, and we would give the money away. We would find things all over. We even helped pay for a church in Gloucester in England. Gave them some money to help them with their roof from Africa. Poorest of the poor. We gave our whole offering to the Philippines. How many of you know exactly where the Philippines are? I can remember at the time. I'm pretty good at geography. And I thought, oh, so we're going to give it to the Philippines. Okay, I better look on the map and go there and say, guys, our money's going there. And you can see everybody. Why? Well, there's a church there that really needs it. You know what? All these years later, we've just planted our second church in the Philippines. Just amazing. So seed. God brings back a harvest. And slowly but surely, regions beyond this family, if you listen to that scripture, Paul said, Coming to you that as your faith increases, our area, our field among you may greatly be enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you. If you've got an NIV Bible, it'll say the regions beyond you. That's where our name comes from, because we felt called for the local church, for the community and the of the earth. I can hear this coming and going. Okay, there we go. Um, And um, so we felt called, and that's where the name came from. And slowly but surely, churches around the world started to link up with us, churches here in the UK. We had five churches that participated with us. But then, out of the blue, came the strangest call. Oops. Nope. Other way. I'm missing a slide. Okay. Okay. came the strangest call, and that was for Heather and I to leave our beloved people in Africa and move to the Middle East. And so we headed to Dubai. We picked up a small community there, and once again, with the same values, the same longing, the same radical nature with money, with togetherness, we set our course, and God did a wonderful, wonderful work among us. And it was there that God started to speak to us and give us promises of what he wants to do in every nation. And the church grew from a small community to two quite sizable communities, um, which we led up until the end of 2015 before handing them both over and getting ready to come and base ourselves in the UK for a season. But brothers and sisters, God has done a fabulous work. It is quite staggering to see, and I'm going to show you a map in a moment. But I want to take you through, how much time have I got? It's 20 to 1, 10 to 1. No, that must be last time. Um, Okay, I'm going to do my best. Are you with me? So I'm going to throw some statements, because even as we met in this setting, I felt God put some dreams in my heart. And i want to tell you what these dreams are because as I tell you what they are, it points to what we are as a group of churches. We sum 106 churches around the world now, five continents, I don't know how many nations, but from China to um, uh, uh, in the Far East, Malaysia now, we've got a church there, Philippines coming right across into the Middle East, into Africa, right through into Central Africa, right up into Ethiopia, East Africa, into Europe now in Holland, here in the UK, across in the States, right up in the Northwest, down into the South America. And all of these have just come because God said, I'm going to handpick people from across the nations that will become part of this growing sphere of churches. But these were the dreams. So let me take you through them very, very quickly. Number one, churches that are glorious at heart. And these aren't pictures I've just found. These are pictures of churches in regions beyond. So the one at the, the big one here is uh, in Pakistan. A, a young man who was uh, in Dubai with us went back on holiday after hearing this great message that we preached in Gateway in Dubai about God reaching the ends of the earth. And when you live in Dubai, your company send you home for a month. And so he had a great idea while he was there for a month, he would plant a church. And uh, so one morning, I switched on my computer, and up came the emails. And there was this one, Gafar Waris Waris, Pakistani young man. And it said, Gateway Church Lahore. And I looked at this, I thought, what's that? And I pushed on it, and he said, I wanted to send you some pictures of the church we planted last night. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about spontaneous growth. This is a picture now, but originally they met on the roof of his house. And I forget how many people were saved that night, but just the roof of this house about the size of this room was just packed with people as he preached the gospel. And this church was born. The other one here is um, Gateway in Dubai. And so our longing is for what we would see in the Bible as the glorious church. Now, the glorious church is a church that's vibrant, that's full of God, that's full of expectancy, a church that knows it's the head, not the tail. Because so often the church has just become the tail, retreating into smallness. Whereas God's saying, no, you're the answer for the ends of the earth. And it doesn't mean you have to be in the great cities of the world. You can be like we were in the middle of nowhere. But when you get a view of what God can do, when he gathers a community with all the gifting in this room, and he starts to unlock it, and you realize, wow, we can change things. I shared about how our church in Clarence in in southern Africa changed the community. We had a British couple come over. They were nearing retirement, so they decided they would join us in Clarence, and they sold up everything. Just arrived and said, we're here to be part of the church. We're joining you. So we said, welcome. And I thought, oh my goodness, they are so out of the culture. I wonder how this is going to work. What I didn't know in them, and God had given them this most beautiful mercy gift, they were just all mercy inside. Compassion, kindness. And so they heard of someone dying of HIV and AIDS. And they said, we've got a car. They're close to death. They're never going to get to a hospital. We could do that. So they went around, lifted up this young woman, put her in the car, took her to hospital, and arrived in the hospital to find tons of people like that. No doctors to serve them. They said, why are these people not being helped? And the doctor said, we can't cope. I'm afraid, put her somewhere on the floor, we'll get to her when we can. And so they didn't leave. Compassion. Can't just leave her there. So they stayed with her. Hour after hour after hour. Eventually, they said, this is nonsense. They went and they found the staff. They said, this is ridiculous. What do we need to do to get this right? I'm, this is a couple out of... Kent changing expression of the medical world in Southern Africa. And so they came back to me and said, We've got to do something about this. And People of Hope was born. Little ministry. We've got nothing. They said, Don't worry, what have we got? God said to us, bring what you've got. So we worked out. Fish and a few loaves. We got a car. We got a quite an extraordinary, unusual couple, Peter and Loretta. We've got one or two Bistucha people. Would you help them? Yes. And we've got enough petrol, so that's all right. Okay, let's start. It just took off. I was looking after 350 people, 12 full time workers every day. So when we do our offerings on a Sunday we, at, in the church, they still do it today. It's such a blessing for us. We bring our tithes, but we bring food, and we bring clothing, and the team take it, and they're out, and they're looking after people until the tired that you thought we'd never overcome started to fall back as we educated the people. And now, so a glorious church. A church, that's the answer. Let me move on. <gasps> I'm never going to get through this, but I'll do my best. I dreamed of a radical people, sacrificial in nature and abandoned to God's purposes. Ooh, that's a high call. Because what's our modern age around? Comfort, isn't it? It's the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Now suddenly, no, we're looking for churches that are radical. People are willing to say, hey... I can give myself to this. I can, I can sell myself out for this. This, if Jesus, if you went to the cross, you bled and died for me, I thank you for that. Then my response is I can use what I am in the job I'm in or whatever I'm doing to serve you. Not everyone will go. This young lady did. Her name is Naroshni Jayawaradina. She comes from a small, comes from Colombo in Sri Lanka found herself working in a bank in Dubai, and um, she listened to this message that I preached and um, many others, because whenever we preach, we always have the big picture of God. Can't leave it out. And eventually she said, I've got to give myself. Now she lives in Misero in Lesotho, the world's poorest or second poorest nation. It's, it's always fighting with uh, Burundi, I think it is, at the bottom of the pile, And she's helping build a church there. And uh, just been amazing. She went for a year. She's now been there three years. And just doing an amazing work. Radical. Saying, hey, we can do something. And if we have church, it doesn't mean that everybody goes. Okay, you'll see that in a moment because I'm going to come to that. Uh, It doesn't mean everybody goes. But it can be. We can all be radical. We can all be praying, giving, giving ourselves. So we got the prayer meeting on the 7th, if I saw correctly. Um, Wednesday a week, we can give ourselves and pray. I'll show you a world map in a moment. And um, I'm already an hour late. <laughs> but a radical people, radical, sacrificial in nature. May I challenge you this morning? I think it was Johnny, who, or somebody prayed, lovely prayers this morning, just saying, you know, how can I not give my all? Okay, here's another one. God's new humanity. Really, we have a strong call to put Jesus on display. How do we put him on display? Like this. Where we take all the people groups of the world and we bring them together as worshippers of Jesus, and you look and you think, this shouldn't be happening. In our town, we were so divided, apartheid was so destructive. But yet we built a church that was full of people, all the different people. The, the, the leadership was diverse. The, the worship was diverse. We taught every white South African who, for some reason, who were born without any rhythm at all, <laughs> how to sing in Susutu, how to sing in Zulu, how to sing in Saswana and Bemba. And they said, but Why? when you do that, when you sing in somebody else's language it gives you an understanding of what Jesus has done it unlocks something in you that it's not all about you and suddenly you're worshipping, you know, in these languages and we give the words so you know what you're doing and you think, wow God I'm part of your new humanity and so that's what we long for and so we cross the nations furthermore we believe that God's called us to a diverse context. I didn't have a big enough slide, but here we've got on this side here the Philippines. They, they built this tower block, these young guys and ladies in the church in um, um, Manila, uh, three stories, and they got training. They got a shop front training and that, and they moved in, and this is the, the little church. But already the building's not finished. They've just planted their second church up in Bulacan, because it's in them, reproductive. It's in them. So we're looking at diversity. This one over here is, is a church here in the UK. Um, this one here is Dechlebeng Church now in, in Clarence, South Africa, the one that we left um, in a big shed. Sorry, the light's a bit bright. And this one here is in Lesotho, Maluseng, and they meet under a boer bean tree, it's called. And so when I went to preach there, fabulous experience, a little village right up in the mountains of Lesotho, and they all their chairs are set out under the tree. I spoke to the leaders and said, would it be helpful if I helped you get a building to meet in? You know, because that's wonderful work. And they said, why? And I thought, okay, now I'm thinking like a real city boy. Um, I said, well... Doesn't get cold and that, yeah, but you know, when it's cold, the leaves are off the tree and we get the sunshine, so we sit in the sun. And when it's hot in summer, we got the shady leaves. Why do we need a building? I thought, why do you need a building? Yeah. So they're going, so it's completely diverse. And so we love it. So we got churches in big cities, we got churches like the one in Dubai who pay, well, we used to pay about um, uh, 2,500 pounds. Every meeting we had for an hour, and uh, two hours. So it was frightfully expensive. And then we had churches under trees. But each one's important. Each one handpicked by God. Each one ready to be unlocked for the purposes of God. Let me move on quickly. We're an apostolic people group. The word apostolic means sent one. Uh, Paul uses it or emissary or herald sometimes, linked into witnessing. And it's about a people who are mobile. In other words, we're carrying a message of Jesus to our neighborhood, to our nation, and to the ends of the earth. And our longing, the longing in my heart, is not to have a church whose leaders travel around the world. Sorry, I won't be here next week. I'm going to this conference to hear this big speaker. Next week is, I'm back, but I'm going off to hear this conference and this training. No, no, no. That we've got it wrong. What God's looking for are churches who are mobilized. Mobilized for the neighborhood. Carrying responsibility. Saying, God, you've put us here to change our neighborhood. But at the same time, we know you've put people in here who've got a callings for the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Some of you are sitting. I'm not putting up my hand this morning because I know what it'll mean. <laughs> But an hour where everybody from the back row, front row to the sides, is caught up in taking Jesus to the nation. Some are just praying, some are giving, some are going, some are releasing, but every one of us playing a part. These are ladies from our Indian church um, in Uttar Pradesh, which is right up in the northeast on the Nepal border. Here are a life group in Dubai. You can see all the different people groups in Dubai. And there's a village in the mountains of Lesotho. They sent me a picture when they were there. This is these pictures, but uh, Pete West um, is planting churches on every mountaintop. He felt God say in Lesotho, and you find these little shepherd's villages. And he sent me a screenshot of his phone, Google Maps. And all it was was a blank screen with the pin drop on it. And so I looked at this. I thought, What's that? He was having fun. So I said, Pete, where are you? <laughs> he said, that is actually where I am in the middle of nowhere. There are no roads. There's no landmarks. It's just area, and that's where I am. And he said, I want you to tell you, we've just planted a church. <laughs> Wonderful, isn't it? So that's what God wants. He wants the whole lot built together. We want to see a movement where leaders are intentional about raising up others, releasing others. Because if we're going to see the end, reach the ends of the earth, we've got to see those coming through who are being stirred by God for the nations. I'm going to go quickly. Furthermore, I'm halfway. Woo. Leaders fully abandoned to the purposes of God. Because you see, if we as leaders will lay hold... I'm going to speak to the front row over here now. If we as leaders will lay hold of the purposes of God, our people will follow. Heather and I loved Cape Town. We had the most beautiful house. We would got our dream house. Our kids were in the dream school. Our parents were just up the road. We had a beautiful church that we had helped plant. And everything was as we had planned it to be until that day when God said, this is my plan for the nations. And we said, okay, Lord, to the ends of the earth. Never believing we'd live in central southern Africa, then the Middle East, which was the biggest shock, and now in the UK, which has been the easiest move we have had so far. Thank you very much. Okay, moving on quickly. Each community fully included. India here. That's uh, a tent in Lesotho, I think, or Bethlehem. It's a little town of Bethlehem. Not in uh, Israel, though, but in southern Africa. Um, and um, so everyone included. So you can see here they've, they've got their flags because they know they, the Indian church, this is um, in, in Mumbai, they know they're participating with churches around the world. And so we've really worked hard. I dreamed of that. Churches that are not feeling on the outskirts of things, but no, we're with this. We might not go there, but we're carrying it in our hearts. Quickly for the others, a conscious bias towards others' success. Being a church leader, I'm very conscious these days that so so much of our Christian world is built around a wrong understanding of success. How many people follow one on Twitter? How many Facebook followers you got? How many people come to your conference? And it's all measured, 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 measured all the time. And many years ago, I felt I wanted to set a different course where we could build a church movement where people are there for one another's success. Where true biblical success, how did, how did Jesus express success? We saw it in the morning that Peter got up, although he looked like he was drunk, according to Scripture, got up and spoke the word, and thousands were saved. And Jesus was successful in what he came to do. He ensured that others were raised up. And so we're building a church movement that are there for one another's success. We want to be churches who um, have a local emphasis and an international responsibility. Each one of these faces tells a story. they all, I could tell you so much about each one, but time doesn't allow me. Um, the lady, just one story. Um, I think her name, I speak in a correction now. Oh, Adelia on the side here. The picture was taken when she was explaining to us how she lived next to the land we bought. We had a miracle at our leaders' conference where we bought a 100,000 pound piece of land in Burundi, not realizing that what we had bought was one of the killing fields from the uh, Rwanda-Burundi genocide. So when we started building, we found mass graves all over our land. And next to our land live people so poor. And sadly, for this lady, uh, sorry, her name is Odette, actually. For her, they had tremendous African rains, and the mountains collapsed, and this rubble and stone came through and just took away their houses, their family, their children. She lost three of her four children, and this was just thereafter. But off the back of that, we planted a church in a tent on the land at the moment, about 200 people gathering. Just such a joy for us. And now just our second one. One of the hardest things. But each one is a story. So it's churches like you, like the churches I'm in, where we say, hey, we want to change Brixton. We want to get into every home. We want to influence this community. But at the same time, we carry international responsibility. I'll try and be quick. Forgive me. Passionate about embracing the poor. This is the Camp in um, Burundi, living conditions. This one here, as you might remember, the typhoon that went through the Philippines, one of the islands. I can't remember the name of that island, but that we are. Furthermore, churches and leaders where we want to see many sons and daughters raised in the household. Not workers, not representatives, but relationally, sons and daughters, people carrying the DNA of what we believe. So much I could say on that. Sacrificial in regard to our resources. This picture I got two days ago. And these are Burundian leaders watching our offering DVD on a computer this week. And they sent me, somebody sent me, they said, this would bring joy to your heart. And it certainly did. So I slotted it in there. And they were so excited because in the DVD it shows a little bit of Burundi and suddenly their faces all lit up as they realized that they were part of a worldwide family. What that means. People gifts quickly released. There we were saying goodbye to uh, Naroshni, sending her off to um, Lesotho. If you look on the back corner there, there's another family from South Africa, Jasper, Noel, and their three children who were also leaving on that day. We were giving them into Ethiopia, where they are now based. And so we long for that. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to finish with this. Our world has taken us all over. There are some um, places that are not that we are in that are not on this map because we can't speak about them publicly. There are nations that are closed down, locked up, and would put lives in danger. Um, and, but we are spread all over the nations. And this is regions beyond, a, a little dream, a little key. One man responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, but is Jesus even for me? Saying, yes, he died. So loved the world. And seeing the gospel come to one man that birthed a movement of churches across the world. And so we scattered across these nations. Each one is a story. In fact, on Friday this week, I'll be recording a DVD which takes you on a journey around the world, and I think it'll be helpful for everyone to see. But each one is people like yourselves, living in faith, living at the center of God's purposes, reaching their town or village, little hamlet, their mountaintop, their city, but at the same time, carrying the nations in their heart. When Paul spoke in those scriptures earlier, and he talked about an ever-increasing sphere, there are just three things I'll highlight. It wasn't a competition. We're not in competition with other people. We work very closely with other apostolic leaders, supporting them, helping them. Not in competition, it's about faithfulness where God wants to take us. But also, we operate within the limits that God set. And so we go as God leads us. We, we're not racing around. If you go to our website, I'm sorry, um, it's not that exciting. I mean, we're not trying to win people through flashy stuff. We will get it sorted out. Um, but um, we're looking for an ever-growing family where the likes of yourselves and others would feel, wow, we're right right in there. We, we're at the heart of what's happening we can release the gifts. We can participate. We can go because as your faith increases, so our world will increase. And that's the third one. We're looking just to grow all the time. Get our faith. Come on, Lord, help us as we go wider. Maybe this morning I've shared <laughs> a lot more than most um, probably able to all take in. But a small key unlocked much. And as I've listened to Owen over the last few weeks and lovely evening with Pauline and also Phil, um, I came away thinking and saying, God, if it's your plan that we are to join together, I'm all for it. I love these people. And I realize that there's a lot in you, locked up in you, that I believe that God will unlock for the future. And um, it's a great joy being with you this morning. And um, I suppose a little bit, I think it was Moses who said to that man, I can't remember his name, come with us, we'll do you good. I guess that's has been my heart this morning. But I wonder if you can just close your eyes and I'm going to end just with a short prayer. And then we'll break. If you do need to slip out, please feel free. I wonder if you just put your hands out in front of you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as fill you at times right through this morning. We know you're the one who catches our hearts. You're the one who stirs our hearts. You're the one who takes us to the ends of the earth. You're the one who takes us to our neighbor or our family down the road. And as we put our hands out in front of you, Lord, we firstly want to say... Lord, hear my hands, use me. Can you say that to God this morning? But be careful, because he takes you seriously on it. I learned that. Hear my hands, Lord, use me. And secondly, Lord, we want to respond to you and say thank you so much for catching us up in your great adventure, your great story. Thank you that we can participate with you and walk with you and follow you. We hear those words that you said to Peter and the others when they wanted to keep you in Capernaum. No, we must go now onto the next town and the next village. That is why I have come. And Lord, now we've become an apostolic people. And so we pray that you would bless this work. I do. I ask you to bless Beacon Church. I ask you, Lord, to pour out your spirit on them and I ask you to take them into a season where you would multiply them, Lord, not only numerically but in growth and faith, that, Lord, they'd be able to respond to you in every way. I pray this in your wonderful name. Just as I close and every eye is closed, if you feel this morning God tugging at your heart and you know... That God is saying, I want you to break camp and advance. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 9. You've been on this mountain too long. I want you to break camp and advance. That's what he said to Moses and to the Israelites. Because he had promises for them. He had a land for them. They were on Mount Sinai, still far away. But if you know God's speaking to you this morning, I wonder if I could pray with you. And if you'd like to, as we close, just make your way to the front and I'll just pray over you and pray that God would take an honest soul and take you into all these purposes. Lord, we thank you, we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.